the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself. And thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Our bodies are built to respond to stress, but it's easy to forget about your innate power when you're facing challenges. According to today's guest, Dr. Christy Gibson, it's possible to remodel your brain to achieve post-traumatic growth. She joins us today to explain how to embrace your power and tap into your wisdom. Dr. Gibson is a physician, change agent, and trauma clinician. She's the author of the book, The Modern Trauma Toolkit, Nurture Your Post-Traumatic Growth, with personalized solutions. Welcome, Dr. Gibson. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Joan. I'm really happy to be here. Doctor, I want to begin by defining trauma. You often hear people say it was such a trauma. Is trauma something that actually happens or is it our response to something that happened? You've got it exactly right, Joan. So we do speak about traumatic events and kind of use it as an adjective to describe something that has happened to us that's been very uncomfortable. So, I mean, when I was looking at your story, you, you've had some significant traumatic events when you lost family members. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have recently too. I, I think those events can be incredibly traumatic. And we talk about grief, but we don't necessarily recognize that as a traumatic event. But when it comes to clinical trauma, that is the response that happens in our nervous system. And so people can go through the exact same traumatic event and have very different responses to that event based on our innate resilience in terms of the kinds of experiences we had as a child, our genetics, the kinds of coping strategies we've developed over our lifetimes. There's many reasons why some people might experience trauma long after the event has passed it gets locked in our nervous system and it doesn't happen to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so that's why one person, like you mentioned my story, sometimes I wonder how I even got through all of that, you know, because yeah. I used to say to myself, any one of these things would derail a person. So how did I get through all of them at once? So as you're saying, it's basically the way that we are programmed in our subconscious. Yes. And I love that you mentioned subconscious because a lot of that when we're when we're just trying to get through something, um, we're not consciously trying to program our nervous system one way or the other. It's really just getting through using that sympathetic nervous system fight and flight to get to the other side of it where we finally are able to be calm and in our parasympathetic nervous system again. And for some people, one of those responses gets locked in. So sometimes people get locked into a sympathetic overwhelm and sometimes people get locked into a parasympathetic overwhelm. And even though those nervous system responses help us in those moments and they can be um, really important to our day-to-day coping, when those systems are just overactivated, that's when we are left with those very uncomfortable post-traumatic stress symptoms and and sometimes full-blown PTSD. Mm -hmm. So if we're stuck in that physical response of the stress, anxiety, fear cycle, how do we break that? 
And that's exactly why I wrote the book. I I joined TikTok um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. There was a young person in my life who said, you know, you explain mental health so differently than a lot of other people that I've heard. And a lot of my experience as a family physician for 20 years and then learning all of the different trauma modalities, um, I've worked in very... um, priority population. So lots of immigrants and refugees, uh, lots of people with very low levels of education. And so I've gotten used to learning how to explain very complex subjects in a simple way. And so I joined TikTok for that purpose because she said, you know, people are really struggling right now. The pandemic is hitting young people hard. And my goal was to try to say, there are so many ways to shift your nervous system and to come out of these traumatic responses. And so I was teaching body-based or somatic tools online. I was describing different cognitive tools that you can try. So, you know, just this week we, we talked about what's it like to have the movie of your trauma playing in your head or what does it feel like in your body when it's like you have your foot on the brake and the accelerator at the same time. So when people can relate to those kinds of ideas, they're really engaged in learning how to make those shifts. And that's how the book came about is I just thought, these are really practical tools that I know. They're very easy to explain. And people can change the way that their brain is responding, the way their nervous system is responding, almost like a do-it-yourself tool. But then the other important thing for me is, where is the trauma coming from? And a lot of it has systemic causes. So a large part of what I addressed both on TikTok and in the book is what do we do at the community level to stop these traumatic events from happening? And I think that's equally important to addressing it at the individual level. You just mentioned the movie of trauma, and I love that description. I always described it to myself as the story I tell myself, but that's where we get stuck, playing that movie over and over again, and we keep encoring it, and we're stuck in that. But now you mentioned the community trauma. So when you have this story that you're playing over and over, and then you add in the repetitive information and and the trauma that keeps coming at, at us from that external? How do we overcome the internal and the external? You've exactly hit it. I think a lot of existing therapies will address one or the other. And I really think it's important to um, take an approach where you recognize what's the most available doorway to you. And after a significant trauma, the doorway that's best accessible is often the body. And when we go to therapy, they try to get us to change our thoughts. And sometimes those aren't available. So as you describe, the story is playing itself out over and over again. That's because it's congruent with the stuck part of your nervous system. So changing your body's response first often makes those cognitive or brain-based therapies more available to a person. So that's why I call the book a toolkit, is because I think it's really important to individualize the ways that you're going to shift. Not every system is going to respond to the same things at the same time. Some people really prefer to use their brain and to try to use tools like cognitive behavior therapy, motivational interviewing. There's some beautiful new tools like NARM or the neuroaffective relational model for childhood trauma or developmental trauma. Absolutely remarkable. But for some people to get there, they really need to get their nervous system in line because when your amygdalas or the part of your brain that is creating the trauma responses, when those are locked on and your nervous system is in that overactive or underactive mode, your thinking brain actually goes offline. So a lot of people will describe to me, I just can't concentrate, my memory's shot, I feel like I'm in a brain fog. And there can certainly be physical causes of those symptoms. But for people with trauma, the trauma itself can actually shut off the thinking brain. And it's remarkable when I'm working with patients, you know, after a couple of months, their thinking brain comes back online. I've heard so many people say, I feel like I'm coming out of that fog. And that's when I know that the thinking brain therapies are more available to them. Is that why sometimes, doctor, when when a person is going through these types of experiences and they try to think their way out of it, like I know 
I was trying to reason my way out of the way I was feeling, and I couldn't break through that. Is that the reason because the thinking brain is shut down? That's a part of it, Joan. There's a couple of reasons. When you have significant enough traumatic events, part of what happens is your foundational belief about yourself and the world changes. So you start to believe the world isn't safe, really bad things happen, or you start to believe really bad things happen to me, or I deserve these things to happen. And once those foundational shifts start happening in the brain, those are the first places to start. And um, there's three different phases to trauma processing. This goes back to Judith Herman's book, Trauma and Recovery. So a large part of the first stage of therapy is establishing safety. How can you actually start to believe that the world could be a safe place after you've been through significant experiences, whether that's losing people that were important to you, surviving a natural disaster, um, those kinds of events really shift our worldview. And trying to believe that the world could be safe is something that's really foundational to any kind of therapy. And that takes time. Mm -hmm. At first, it feels, especially if you're trying to do it through a thought-based way, trying to tell yourself a new story, it feels like you're gaslighting yourself. So one of my first TikToks that went viral was explaining the difference between affirmations and affirmations. So an affirmation would be, good things happen to me, I deserve love, home is where the heart is. And those kinds of things can be really beautiful and affirming to some people. But for people who've been through significant trauma, that can feel like you're gaslighting yourself, like you're telling yourself lies. And even saying those words out loud can feel really uncomfortable in the body. And so I was teaching on TikTok something called affirmations, where you say those exact same phrases, but you just stick a what if in front of it. What if I deserve good things? What if the world could be safe? What if I could imagine a time in the future where I could feel safe in the world? And what you're doing is you're tiptoeing slowly towards that feeling of safety. And the more that you practice those kinds of I call it planting seeds of possibility. Mm-hmm. You're planting seeds in your brain because once you've been through trauma, your brain preferentially goes to something familiar, which is something dangerous or threatening. And if you start planting seeds of safety, eventually more pathways will be open to you. And that's all the opposite of trauma responses isn't being happy all the time or believing everything is safe. It's having flexibility flexibility in your responses, flexibility in what you believe, flexibility in your anticipation about future events. So many of us, when when we're going through these challenges, we beat ourselves up because we think we should be able to, quote unquote, snap out of it or move past it. And that only adds to the stress cycle that you just described. And so I love when you talked about the what if, because then that opens the door for post-traumatic growth. And so would you explain to our listeners what that is? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say something really quick first. If the first step in trauma recovery is always self-compassion, people are constantly feeling shame about their own trauma responses. And so I'm always explaining to people that everything your mind-body system is doing it's doing to protect you. So we always kind of feel badly about, well, why is my nervous system doing this? I'm avoiding things I should be enjoying, or I'm hypervigilant, always anticipating bad things to happen. And I say, yeah, your nervous system is really working hard to protect you, isn't it? And post-traumatic growth is when you're coming out on that other side with self-compassion, having recognized those protective mechanisms for what they are as really important survival strategies. And we recognize the way our nervous system and our thinking patterns are trying to protect us. And post-traumatic growth is a different baseline than resilience. So a lot of people talk about resilience these days. And I have this beautiful illustration in my book where resilience is how you bounce back to your baseline. And post-traumatic growth is when you exceed your baseline, when you recognize new things about your place in the world and how the world works, and you're showing up with a different level of compassion for yourself and others. And a lot of times people who've been through significant trauma develop um, 
a need for service on the other side of it. How can I help others? Mm-hmm. So coming out on the other side of trauma can look like a brand new baseline, a new understanding of the world and a new understanding of our place in it. And that doesn't happen for everybody. A lot of people are just trying to survive and they're really stuck in those survival modes because, you know, their basic needs aren't being met, whether that's the need for um, financial security, food and housing. It's a lot of the people that I work with. Um, And then sometimes it's relational needs. And if they can't feel safe in relationships and establish a sense of trust and safe boundaries, then those needs need to be met first. But post-traumatic growth, I really believe, is possible for all people. Do you think, in, in what you just described, in my life, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing had I not gone through all of those challenges, and I found purpose in service. Do you think finding some type of purpose from what you've experienced, do you think that helps with the healing process and moving forward? I really do. I mean, I think humans are designed for connection and meaning. I think that's the fundamental purpose of a human life. And connection doesn't necessarily have to be traditional relationships. A lot of people think that has to mean, you know, your spouse or your children. For some people, connection might mean nature or a pet. And I really don't want to define that connection for any one person because it really does look different. And the same thing goes with purpose. So for a lot of people who've been through significant trauma, you included, you're the embodiment of it. And for me, it really started when I survived the earthquakes in Nepal in 2015. And I started to recognize how traumatic the job as an inpatient hospital physician working 80 hours a week was on my body. You know, I really started to wake up to a lot of traumatic events that were happening to me relationally and professionally, and I started to recognize how much it had affected me. And just like you, it started to make me realize there's a lot of good that I could do by helping other people understand this um, and be of service. And for some people, their meaning or their ikigai, like that place where you're finding something that you're passionate about and it's something that the world needs. And it might be forming, you know, a small garden in your backyard where you feed a couple of your neighbors. That could be something really significant that comes out on the other side of it because you realize, well, gardening really calms my nervous system down. Mm -hmm. And then that grows into something, pun intended, that feeds a a lot of other people. So that purpose orientation can look very different for lots of people. But I do find that for people who've been through significant trauma and they're starting to understand how that shapes us and our experiences, sharing what they've learned brings Mm -hmm. a lot of people meaning on the other side of trauma. And doesn't focusing on something like you mentioned gardening, something that brings you joy, makes you happy, doesn't focusing on that for maybe a minute, two minutes, I don't know what the actual time is, but doesn't that create new neural pathways in the brain? It really depends on each person. So um, what we're trying to do is to create more experiences in parasympathetic, which is your calm nervous system, Mm -hmm. when you're feeling safe and connected. So parasympathetic can also go into overwhelm. And that looks like can't get out of bed, can't get off the couch. So what you're looking for is that safe and calm nervous system response. So for some people that could be gardening, for some people that could be, you know, petting their cat or sitting in front of a crackling fire, Um, Deb Dana, she's one of the clinicians involved in the polyvagal theory, which is something that I really ascribe to clinically. She talks about it as glimmers. So when we start to notice the triggers, what are the kinds of things that, you know, bring us back to a physical or emotional state that's uncomfortable? We also want to amplify the glimmers or the physical and emotional states that are beautiful and awful and connected. And I think the way that our human brains work, we are programmed to recognize negative aspects, five to one ratio, because we're trying to protect our body from threat. What we want to do is to amplify those glimmers and those positive interactions and those times when our nervous system is feeling calm and connected. Yeah, and so the goal then is to become more mindful of what we're feeling. Deb Dana describes it as befriending your nervous system. And really the ultimate 
goal of my book was to give people personalized tools where they can say, wow, this really makes my brain body feel calm. And we're just looking for those micro moments. Mm -hmm. When you've been through significant trauma and your nervous system is stuck in those fight, flight, freeze states, what would it look like to just touch base and create some calming delta waves in your nervous system using self-touch or havening? So that's something I describe in the book. I talk about self-acupressure or tapping. That's called emotional freedom techniques. If you have an emotion like anger or sadness or grief that's showing up at like a 10 out of 10 and you're so dysregulated and you just can't function, you can use a tool like tapping just to bring those levels down to like a five where you feel like you can cope with your day-to-day routine. So there's lots of different tools that a person can learn. We've talked about at least six of them so far in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I wanted to bring to people's attention is there's ways to induce your parasympathetic nervous system and feel more calm. There's ways to calm the brain down and create delta and theta waves that are really, really calm and relaxing. And you can DIY that yourself even without a therapist, although that helps too. And what would be a warning sign? What are some of the signs that we may need more help? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people have um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress without necessarily having full-blown PTSD. But PTSD is a function of four different symptoms. Um, Those are hypervigilance, when you're feeling like you're constantly on edge waiting for a shoe to drop, always anticipating bad things happening. Some people might actually be really jumpy. So if like a door slams or someone's you know, crying, they they really start to feel panicky and anxious. Um, intrusive symptoms, so intrusive, it means flashbacks, nightmares, bad dreams, can't sleep because that story you're telling yourself or an experience you're reliving is just constantly interfering and the past is showing up in the present. Um, avoidance, so not being able to do the things that you should be doing or want to be doing in the day. And that could even be the people that you care about, but just really avoiding any situation that could be triggering and then eventually it becomes just avoiding life altogether and that's when the negative beliefs about the self and the world really start creeping in. From a nervous system perspective, fight and flight that's locked into the body feels like tension, feels like irritability, feels like constantly agitated and restless and an overactive calm nervous system feels exactly how I mentioned. It's just that can't get out of bed, can't get off the couch, feeling stuck and frozen and just not able to do the things that you're supposed to do to, to, to be living your life in a successful way for you. Mm-hmm. So any of that would be an indicator that things are locked in and you need to um, learn your own patterns in terms of what's locked in and then learn ways to shift. And that looks different for each person. The book is The Modern Trauma Toolkit, Nurture Your Post-Traumatic Growth with Personalized Solutions. Dr. Gibson, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Thanks for that. So on TikTok, I'm TikTok Trauma Doc. The book website is moderntrauma.com, which has all of the links to purchase the book in the U.S., U.K., and Canada. And to find out more about me in terms of speaking engagements or just to get in touch, I'm at christinegibson.net. And once again, that website is christinegibson.net. Thank you so much for joining us. I would love to have you come back on. I could talk to you for hours. Yeah, I feel the same way. You've got great questions and your own experience is so insightful, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. 
An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating, with listeners staying tuned in, or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, Tips to Be a Successful Sought-After Radio and Podcast Guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Did you know that Reiki can help lessen stress, depression, and anxiety? And are you aware that Reiki is now being used in hospitals as a complement to medicine? And it's because of its relaxing effects that Reiki has helped many overcome their health concerns. It was founded by a Buddhist monk named Mikao Yusui of Japan in the early 1920s, and his goal was to help heal broken people. Reiki comes from a universal life force energy which radiates pure love, and this energy is then transferred through the Reiki practitioner's hands to the client. Reiki is considered a form of energy medicine which addresses the entire energy body called the chakras, which correlates to every system within our bodies from our pineal gland all the way down to our adrenals and spinal cord. So why not consider the many benefits of Reiki and how it can help impact the health of your body, mind, and spirit? Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified angelic crystal Reiki and magnified healing master teacher. For more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. Today is Dr. Jeffrey Weber, who's with the Laura and Isaac Perlmutter Cancer Center. Dr. Weber is here today to discuss melanoma. Dr. Weber, according to the American Cancer Society, an estimated 87,000 new cases of melanoma were diagnosed in the United States last year. What is melanoma and whom does it affect? Melanoma is a cancer of the pigment cells or melanocytes that live in our skin. They tend to cluster at the junction between the inner inner and the outer skin, which is the dermis and the epidermis. And if they become transformed or abnormal and grow out of control, they can then invade. And if you get to them early and remove them when they're in the skin only, you can cure the patient. But if it spreads within the skin, deeply into the skin, or to distant organs, those patients may die of metastatic melanoma. And the patients most at risk are those who have pale complexions, a lot of freckles, especially those with a lot of abnormal freckles, and those with blonde hair, red hair, blue eyes, green eyes, who have been exposed to the sun or tanning salons. So most melanomas are probably due to UV exposure, that is the sun and the tanning salons. Some of them are genetically predisposed whether you're in the sun or not, but most of them are related to UV light. Is melanoma more dangerous than other skin cancers? That is correct. Most cancers of the skin in the United States and around the world are so-called basal and squamous cancers. You find them, you remove them, they're usually cured. The likelihood that they would spread percentage-wise would be very low, although that happens. It just doesn't happen often with melanoma. So you have about uh, more than a 10%. It's an 11% chance of dying of the disease, whereas with other cancers, it's very low. It's 1% or less. Doctor, what are symptoms of melanoma? People should look in the skin at their moles, and if they change and grow in size, become differentiated in color, if they become shaggy in their borders, if they're asymmetric, if they get raised or bleed, that's when you get worried and you have to go to the dermatologist for a biopsy. No question. What is immuno-oncology, and how does this treatment help patients with melanoma? Immuno-oncology is the field of study and treatment using drugs that impact on the immune system to indirectly treat cancer. So what you do is you use a drug 
And these drugs have really only been developed since 2001 or 2002. And these drugs stimulate the immune system to get rid of the cancer or prevent it from returning. So they don't directly kill the tumor. They convince, so to speak, the immune system to do the work and get rid of the tumor and destroy it. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to get more information, you can visit curemelanoma.org. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, but only if you make a good impression. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills. To learn more, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. From the studios of AM 970, The Answer, on Broadway and Wall Street in Manhattan. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Today's guest, Diane Pienta, believes that there are surprising ways to find happiness, especially in the middle of tough times. Diane says that instead of digging in, we should turn away to find goodness in creativity and connection. Diane is a creativity mentor and healer. Diane is the author of Be the Magic, Bite-Sized Nuggets of Wisdom to Feed Your Joy, Nourish Your Soul, and Open Your Heart. Welcome, Diane. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan, and thank you for having me and for what you do in the world. Well, thank you for saying that. And what you're doing today is really quite different from what you had done for a number of years. You were a businesswoman. So how did you get started on a healing journey? Well, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I think my heart was always drawn to kind of the mystical and more ancient ways of being on this earth and herbalism. But I followed a traditional path um, and... Uh, in my early 30s, I was sparked by a cancer diagnosis, as you mentioned in the intro. And in that um, in that moment, it was an awakening of sorts to say, like, okay, what else is there? And really following my heart. And there were other kind of chronic things that were happening that traditional medicine um, wasn't able to help me with. So that got me on this path of just being really curious and exploring what are other healing modalities? What what about yoga? What about meditation and breath work? And, you know, I also wanted to know what um, what were the metaphysical reasons behind some of the, the diagnoses people were having that I was having? And what is the role that, you know, I, I also was looking at what um, what are the happy, joyful people who are thriving? What do they know? And and how what can I do to um, incorporate that into my life? And so it's just a real exploration of finding joy. And one of the things I just really found is that you know the universe is constantly sending us these signals that direct us towards our joy if we just take off our blinders. And the blinders you know take many forms, but taking those off and opening our hearts and our minds um, really can take us on a path that's that's really what our soul wants to do, what we came here to do. Well, would you tell us a little bit more about your cancer diagnosis? What type of cancer was it, and, and what did you do to heal? Yeah, so it was in my early 30s, and I had cervical cancer. And um, I hadn't had children at that time and kind of assumed that I would have children at some point. You know, didn't wasn't making a plan. but So that kind of threw a lot of things into, um, into question. And I went a very traditional, because I wasn't really on this path yet, I took a very traditional approach where um, I had many surgeries to remove, um, you know, many body parts. And at the end of it, I was I was just left with this idea that there's something more. And I was also really interested in why did I, why why was I diagnosed with cancer? But what, what caused this? What's the root cause? And it's something I think a lot of people ask when they have these kind of like, what, like what, not only why me, but why is my body doing this? What is it trying to tell me? And at the time I was in, um, I had my own consulting business. It was a little boutique business. It was very successful. People said, it's amazing. You're in your early thirties and you're making good money and you've got your own consulting business, but it wasn't my soul's um, joy. It was very cerebral. I was good at it, but I wasn't, it didn't bring me 
much joy. Mm-hmm. And it was after that that I that I just said, wait a minute, like what what's the cor- what is the correlation here? And um, I got very clear that I would be I would sell the business or I would be out in some way within a year. And that just gave me the permission to open up. And I also declared at that point that I was um, that I would be done with cancer. And so at that point, I really started getting into meditation and yoga. And um, shortly after that, I had some other chronic infections that couldn't be diagnosed with traditional means. And that led me to herbalism, which ended up curing it in this almost, it felt almost magical. It's the kind of thing where if somebody said to you, oh, this happened, like, you know, this happened, you would say, oh, yeah, that's just a coincidence. But I like when you know your body, it was, it was profound. I could really feel the healing happen. And then, I, you know, the more you experience things like that, the more and the more you open to it, the, and the more healing that happens. And similarly, I ended up going into another um, business after that that was actually more aligned with with who I am, mm-hmm. and but I was still working a lot, and so I had some adrenal burnout as I was at, at a time when I was also uh, care, care, not not caretaking but having parents who were in the death dying and dementia years, and so it was um, at that point that I discovered energy medicine and how to work with our energy systems and how our physical bodies, we could be do everything, you know, great of eating well and exercising. I was doing yoga. I was eating very healthy. I was taking good herbs and supplements, but I was like, why am I so tired? And so just getting introduced to the idea of energy medicine and the practice of it and having and learning how to work with my energy field to shift it was profound. I had, I found now at 55, I have more energy and stronger energy than I had even in my 30s just by working with it and, mm-hmm. and experiencing that with other people. But I also think that a big part of healing is, is doing what brings you joy, right? Like you can be doing all these great things and and exercising and eating right and even doing and but if you're not doing what your soul really wants you to be doing there's a disconnect a disconnect of you know I know when I was um, kind of avoiding writing my book I was a little afraid and I would get these knocks on my on my um, from my soul at like three in the morning to say it's time get up and start writing and I think when we ignore them you know, they just, they get louder and louder, but also the world starts to get a little bit grayer. It's kind of like we have this disconnect from, from what we were, were meant to do, and it's not a healthy place to be in, in my experience. You say that we should learn how to step away from challenges and adversity. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, you know, so many spiritual traditions teach that turn away from your problems, even if just for a little bit. But I don't, I don't know about you, but I find that when I'm in the middle of trying to resolve a challenging situation, the more I think about it in my head and think of solutions, kind of the, like the, the greater the problem becomes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that we shouldn't spend some time focused on, okay, what, what are some steps that I can take, what are some action steps? But when too much of our energy and attention is focused on the problem we we just get sucked into it and so what i mean by that is to turn again this idea of following your joy of finding things that really delight your heart delight your soul because when we do that when we open to this wonder it's why i call it exercising our wonder muscle it actually opens us up to creativity it opens us up to inspired action it opens us up to different ways of thinking maybe thinking of maybe different solutions that come into that problem or that challenge and so even if it's you know find, finding something that you love to do, maybe it's something you already do, or maybe you, some people say I don't even know what I, I love to do. Well, well, you can play and explore a little bit, or um, meet friends for dinner. Just turning away can can create the space for new ways of thinking and new energy to come in. Right, so because when you're so hyper focused, you you don't. It's like you have tunnel vision. You're emotionally charged. And you don't see, you know, the different options or the alternatives. So I, I absolutely agree with you that it does open the door for creative thinking. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really does. And um, I've had that experience a, a number of times. Um, I, I was trying to finish the last uh, bit of my book and my website. It was um, last fall, and I was, 
I was just trying and trying and it just it wasn't flowing it wasn't coming and I, I live in a busy city I thought okay I'll, I'll go to this retreat center in the mountains of Pennsylvania and and I'll work on it there but I still took the mindset of like I'm gonna work on this and I'm gonna I'm gonna wrestle this to the ground kind of thing and what I found was that the, the harder I worked at it you know even in this quote-unquote high vibe community with three beautiful meals made for me a day like it just it still wasn't coming and so um, I ended up just turning away and there was this beautiful kind of moss forest like really what my what I actually said okay I should actually um, practice what I preach and and why don't I look at this and say okay how can I turn away from this and even though it's hard because there were deadlines I took like the next three days and I went into the moss forest I met a friend for dinner kind of in the little town I explored around and I just kind of turned away from from the book from the project at hand and um and it was a little, you know, it can be hard. I want to say that to people. Like, it, it can be hard. You think, I've got to work on this. Like, this is, you know, I've got, there's some urgency here. But when you can, you can turn, what ended up happening was that I ended up coming back to the city and just kind of magically in the next couple of weeks with my team, it just kind of all came together. It all easily came together, just loosening our grip a little. And I love um, Mary Morrissey has a wonderful quote. She says, um, give up the pretense that by being tense, you could make anything better. Mm-hmm. And so the tighter we grip, the tighter, you know, it really just, it just kind of puts a, a chokehold on it instead of just relaxing, physically relaxing and relaxing our brain. And when we can turn towards something we love, that's when we usually get into that relaxed state. From your healing journey and from writing your book and, and all of the lessons that you've learned, what is the best piece of advice you can offer to someone who is navigating a challenge? I think that there's, I think one of the things to remember is that there is no one formula. And we all kind of want that, like what's, like what's the one thing? But sometimes it's just checking in with yourself to see what you need. So it could be, um, what do I need today? Like what is the kind of thing that I could do for myself today? Today it might be, wow, I'm feeling isolated and I, I should, I, you know, I'd really like to not be so isolated. I could call a friend. How could I be out of isolation? Maybe it's just your body is so tense. And can you take a moment and take a run or a walk or go to a yoga class or whatever kind of moving your body? Do a dance. If you like to dance, go to a dancer or dance in your kitchen. Something to kind of to move the energy out of that. The book is Be the Magic, Bite-Sized Nuggets of Wisdom to Feed Your Joy, Nourish Your Soul, and Open Your Heart. If you'd like to learn more about Diane and her work, you can visit dianepienta.com. Diane, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. I appreciate it. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you looking for success in sales, maybe marketing or operations? In whatever areas of your business that you want success, it will require change. People want something they can feel certain about, especially in uncertain times. However, the only constant and what they can count on is change. Many people resist change because they feel admitting they need to improve or do things differently is the same as admitting they were wrong. As you strive to bring about positive change in your life, past conditioning will tug at your mind. You may feel trapped between the way you have always done things or what used to be right and what you now know as an adult is a more appropriate and productive attitude. If that happens, you will find your need to be right, which is a powerful human need, may actually work against what you now know to be right for your professional and personal growth. If this happens, remember, change is a part of life itself and critical to your success. If your ego gets in the way because of that need to be right, focus intensely on your goals. Your success today is determined by your ability to positively respond to change. What might have been right for you yesterday simply may not be right today. If you'd like to learn more, reach out to me, Bertha Robinson at star1professional.com or call 732-705-5060. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, 
your products and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Eileen Lashinsky, a psychotherapist, empath, intuitive healer, and body image specialist. Eileen works primarily with women to support their emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Joan, I'm so glad to be back. Thank you. Eileen, Your work is around our body wisdom and intuition, and you say that when we pay attention to our bodies and treat them with love and respect, we open the doorway to our intuition. What does it mean to be intuitive about our body? Uh, That's a wonderful question. And so I will start with this place, Joan, that our bodies have this language our bodies are trying to communicate to us all the time. And it could be about very mundane things like I'm hungry and what should I eat or I'm getting tired, when should I go to bed, Um, those kinds of things. But frequently our bodies are trying to share with us um, messages about how to proceed with our lives. And the thing is, more often than not, we are running and going and doing. We're just flying through our lives, flying through our days. And unfortunately, there's so much noise around us and in us. The messages that our bodies are trying to send us get lost in translation. And so these messages that I'm talking about are things like, oh, I'm experiencing this pain in my body. What does it mean? How does that translate? Or it could mean something like, I'm going down this road, and, oh, I should check the gas gauge before I get onto this road because, oh, my car needs gas. But if I'm not paying attention to the intuition, to the messages bodies are sending, my body is sending me, I can miss the message and uh, all too frequently, unfortunately, literally or figuratively run out of gas. How can we tune into our intuition? I think the answer to that starts with uh, acknowledging the importance of having a body, not just a mind, not just a brain. We live in a culture that uh, places more of an importance uh, over the mind rather than the body, the the mind over the body. And this uh, gets in the way, Joan, of our being able to tune in. So the very first thing that I had to learn was to honor and respect my body. And how do I do that? I do that by paying attention to the messages. However, I am asking my body, what do I need to know right now? What do I need to learn right now? And more often than not, the body is going, my body is going to point me in a particular direction, and everyone's bodies can do the same thing, but it doesn't happen 
if we're not honoring and respecting the body and paying attention to it. And the problem is, Eileen, that we get those messages, but we don't pay attention to them. I know in my own life, I would get a sick feeling in my stomach when I was doing something that I really didn't want to do, but felt that I should. And I started to pay attention to that and I follow it. And and to be honest with you, it hasn't led me down the wrong path. So I agree with everything you're saying. We get the messages and it really is important for us to start to tune in. Absolutely, Joan. And um, one of the things since I've been asking my body over the years, how are you communicating with me and what do these messages mean? I will often get things like to tell me that I'm speaking truth or I'm experiencing uh, something very important. I'll get goosebumps or I'll get chills. Or if it's not so great, I'll get a gut punch or muscle tension or, you know, when danger is, as I said earlier, around the corner, hair standing up on the back of my neck. Or even there is sometimes and has been a voice that said to me, don't go there, Eileen, don't go there in whatever arena that might be about. So, um, boy, our bodies have so much to say to us and can really, really benefit our lives. And I'm so glad, Joan, to hear that you've been paying attention to yours and you've been happy with the direction of your life as a result. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Eileen and her work, you can visit EileenLeshinsky.com. And as always, to hear more from Eileen, you can visit our website, CYACYL.com slash Eileen Leshinsky. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative change your attitude, change your life. We believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, CYACYL.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.